a guest here. Our brand, should be every church's brand, is to teach God's Word. We have just started an exposition of the Gospel of John. And we come today to verses to verse um, 19 through 34. A very interesting passage, as I think you will see as we move along. Let me explain something. Probably doesn't need to be explained. The writer of this gospel is the Apostle John. But right here we're talking about John. We'll get you confused. John the Baptist. So keep those distinct. Let me read this passage. This is the witness of John the Baptist when the Jews sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him this question. Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny. And he confessed that I am not the Christ. I am not the Messiah. Then they asked him, who then? Are you Elijah? Why would they ask these questions? We'll get to that. And he said, I am not, not Elijah. Are you the prophet, capital P? What's that mean? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, okay, who are you? So that we may give an answer, an official answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? What's your identity? He said, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees who were skeptical and unbelieving. And they asked him and said to them, Why then are you baptizing? That's an authoritative religious act. So why are you going around out here in the wilderness baptizing these people that are coming to you? If you're not the Messiah, the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, John answered saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, that is, yet. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Don't make a big deal about this water stuff. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him, and he said to all around, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, after me comes a man, capital M, who has a higher rank than I, to say the least, for, here's code, he existed before me. And I did not recognize him, but in order that he should be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. And John bore witness, saying, I have beheld the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not previously recognize him, though they were relatives. They were just a few months separated in birth. But he who sent me, that's God, he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Spirit. I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Let me tell you a story that doesn't seem to be connected with this, but it does connect with a major point that I will make, four points toward the end. Most of you know who are regulars here that for 21 years of my long career, I was in academic ministry, the first one for 
10 years teaching in a Bible college before I came up here to teach in the seminary. Toward the end of my career there, uh, the president of the Bible college invited me to become the dean of the college. Well, that kind of fluffs your ego a little bit. And uh, I thought about that. But as always, I put these things before the Lord in prayer. I was over talking to one of the other faculty one day. His name was Len. And uh, he, uh, we got on a little tangent. He knew absolutely nothing about this. He had had contact with a lot of military chaplains. And Len said, you know, Jim, it's been kind of a sad story. I've seen so many military chaplains, the best of them. I've seen them get promoted out of the ministry. I said, well, how was that, Len? He said, well, they got a higher rank and they were not in touch with the men and uh, they just lost their ministry. I was sitting there and I was saying to myself, that's about to happen to me. I was offered this promotion in academic terms and then I started thinking about it as I'd been praying about it, and I said, Jim, know yourself. The content of that academic ministry does not agree with you. 75% of what an academic dean does is not something agreeable to your nature. You'll have the title, but you'll lose your ministry. And so I turned it down. Well, John is a man who knew himself. We'll get to that. In verse 19, the purpose of this high-level Jewish embassy was to get from the horse's mouth, namely John, an official statement of who he claimed to be. He was a mystery to these people, particularly the Sanhedrin or what we call the Jewish council, the elites. They didn't believe that he was sent from God, but a lot of the people did. And a lot of them were thinking, as we saw earlier in the prologue, that he just might be the Messiah. So powerful was his preaching. Well, this time was one of messianic anticipation. It was leading to a lot of public speculation that John the Baptist, who was a mighty prophetic voice, the first one in 400 years, and that too got their attention. The Jews hadn't heard from a real prophet in 400 years. And John was something else. He didn't have to wage, in modern sense, like Graham and some of these other evangelists we have in our day, send all their people from city to city to city to drum up support and put all of the huge relation wheels in motion so that when they showed up on the day, there would be a huge crowd there to greet them. 50,000, 60,000, 100,000, that's what they all do. Or go to some big arena, and then promotion after promotion after promotion. Where did John do his ministry? Out in the wilderness, out in the desert. Well, people were out there. Once John wound up and got into his ministry, he blew everybody away. Whoa! 
oh, this man has a prophetic voice. And so they'd tell others, and then it says elsewhere, not here, that all Jerusalem and Judea, meaning all with, not all without exception, but all without distinction, they started coming out there. And finally, crowds began to gather as word went about that there's a prophet out in the wilderness. And so they went out to hear him. The fact that he was performing the rite of baptism was a token of repentance. That's what it was saying. When you got baptized, you were saying, I recognize that I'm not right with God. I need to repent and be prepared for the advent of the Messiah. We see that in verse 25. Of course, the elites, the Jewish council, were having none of that. But they just wanted John to go on record, either to affirm or deny those calculations. Well, this embassy said, well, who are you? By the way, this is why I told that story. I'll hit it again at the end. It's always good for us as believers, for anybody, but especially for us who are believers, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, to have a good, have a good, a correct self-assessment. So many people, including servants of God, including a lot of preachers, they run out of bounds in their ministry for lack of self-awareness. There's so much of it. We see so much of it today. Egos running wild. They uh, try to be somebody they are not or think they are somebody God did not make them to be. You've seen people, we've all seen them, and it comes, you see it in music a lot. There are people who, uh, they've made up their mind that they're a singer and they want to sing. They really want to sing and they're going to tear the church up. They don't get to sing and sing loud. And uh, it's not good, not good. Some make up their mind that they're preachers and they're not. They're not, God did not help them. For that work. Moses' sister back in the Old Testament, she, uh, she got jealous of Moses' high profile. God did not call Miriam to that work. She wanted to share the limelight with Moses, and God struck her with leprosy, which Moses was enabled by God to heal. But she got to repentance real fast. Miriam didn't understand, didn't respect her, her role. And God said, no, Miriam, not you. Moses is my man. You have that today, really, coming on, started with the feminist movement. You got more and more women standing up, saying, I'm a preacher. Well, not according to the scriptures. Second Timothy chapter 2 will tell you that. I do not permit, the apostle says, speaking after the Spirit of God, I do not permit a woman to do that, to be an elder, to be a pastor in a church. Yet we just ignore that today. And so many try to rationalize their way around that scripture. I'll not get into that. But try to fill a position. They don't fill the suit. They just don't. So they may be very good. They just don't have what it takes. It's a shame. It's a shame. They want to be somebody they're not and right there things start to go wrong and they damage themselves and are naive enough 
and they damage others who are naive enough to go blindly along. Verse 20, first of all, John knew who he wasn't. Who are you, John said. I'm not the Christ. That's a good place to start. Know who you are. Don't try to present yourself as a servant of God as someone else. Wear the suit that fits and not the one that doesn't. Don't claim, oh, if this doesn't seem to resonate with you, this is huge in our day. Don't claim to be a prophet or an apostle. Do you know there's a whole movement? It's a gigantic movement. It's a Pentecostal movement known as the New Apostolic Reformation. They are pretenders. And to gain authority with people, they claim to be prophets and they claim to be apostles on the level of the Apostle Paul and the, and the Twelve. That's identity theft, and it makes God a liar. When you run around claiming to be a prophet and your prophecies are obviously not true, you make a liar out of God. In the Old Testament, that was a death sentence. John knew the talk. He had heard the buzz that he himself was perhaps the anticipated Messiah. He promptly squelched that rumor. I am not the Christ, he said emphatically. Okay, then, are you Elijah? Where's this Elijah stuff come from? Well, go back to Malachi chapter 4. I think Donna, I think they'll put it up there. Okay. Something happened. Malachi chapter 4, listen to this. The last prophet of the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah. He's going to reappear, it sounds like. The prophet, Elijah the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he shall restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And he'll come and smite the land with a curse. Wow. They thought there was to be a reappearance of Elijah. There was to be a reappearance of Elijah, but Jesus told his disciples, I'm not going there. Well, I want to tell you, that's John the Baptist, Elijah. And uh, he uh, is not sharing in the spirit and power of the ancient prophet. But John did not see himself as the reappearance of Elijah. He wasn't only in the spirit and power. So he says, no, I'm not Elijah. Well, then are you the prophet? Who was that? Well, back in Deuteronomy 18, 5 through 18. Uh, back in Deuteronomy. Let's go back here. Is it up there? Oh, okay. Moses had told the people of Israel in his days he was going to pass off the scene. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Somebody who's a prophet, somebody who is a mediator, and they're going to raise him up, the Lord will. A prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen, and you shall listen to him. Verse 18. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak them, all that I command to him. Well, this was the Christ. And Moses was talking about, they hadn't connected the dots. 
though they thought that was a different person. They said, are you that guy, the prophet? And he says, no, I'm not. I'm not one who combines in his office prophet, priest, and mediator. You, Okay, then, verse 22 and 23, if none of those, who are you? John answered forthrightly and without hesitation. I'm the one spoken of in Isaiah 40, verse 3. Okay. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. John said, if you want to know who I am, I'm that guy. So what was that guy? Let's talk about it. He was a herald. There was coming a day just before the Messiah came that God was going to send forth into Israel a herald. Well, what did a herald do in terms of ancient royalty? They went before the king, blowing their horn or the ram's horn or whatever it was, announcing to the citizens of the cities to which they were advancing that the king was coming and what were they to do? Clear all the debris, fill in the valleys and everything and make smooth the way of the king. Their king was coming. It was the Messiah. John said, if you want to know who I am, biblically speaking, I'm that guy. I'm that herald. I'm that forerunner who's going before the king and telling you to get ready for the king. How were they to get ready? Not literally filling in valleys, moving rocks out of the way, removing trees that were fallen and that sort of thing. That might be an obstacle to the advance of the king. It was a spiritual preparation. What they needed was to repent. And so John's message was calling the people of Israel to repent and smooth the way for the reception of the king who was about to come. His coming was imminent so that they might joyfully receive him. Well, verse 24, his inquisitors had been sent from the nation's skeptical and concerned leaders. They wanted to put the pieces together, but their blind and hard hearts didn't let them. Why were they so anxious about this? Well, they needed to head off any political disturbance that might get their Roman masters excited. They did not want their cozy relationship with the Romans disturbed. They didn't want their Roman overlords to, who depended upon them to keep order to get all excited and say, okay, we're done with you guys. So that's why they were trying to get ahead of the game, not because they believed in John. Then in verse 25, these interrogators inquired about his religious authority. What you're doing is a religious act asking these people to come forward and be baptized, to be illustrated. And uh, what gives you the right to take that position and to act like some kind of religious authority? You're not the Christ. You're not the prophet. You're not Elijah. You're none of those people. So give an account of yourself. John, in verse 26, deflected that concern as a tempest in a teapot. This water baptism, he says in effect, I paraphrase very loosely, is no big deal, folks. I will tell you what it is. You don't know it, but among you stands somebody, and Jesus was already among them. 
Among you stands one right now whom you don't know. You're all focused on me. The one you better get focused on is the one who's among you right now. And that person is one whom I'm not worthy to tie or untie the laces of his shoes. I'm a relative nobody. There's humility. He is everything. Heads up, everybody, to what's happening. I'm just his herald. Big verse 27. He is coming after me. Don't blow me up to be some big somebody. I tell you, the one whose sandals I'm unworthy to bear is right here among you. Verse 28. These things took place in Bethany. John John the Apostle emphasizes. It was out in the wilderness where John was baptizing at the time. Why did people go out there? They were impelled by the Holy Spirit to go out in the wilderness by the movement of the Spirit of God. A lot of things that happen in our churches, a lot of things are movements, but they're not impelled by the Spirit of God. They're impelled by the merchant, by the marketing techniques of human beings. This was not an evangelistic phenomenon produced by modern marketing methods. I emphasize that. I don't know about you. I hate hype. I hate religious hype more than any. Hype, hype, hype. We live in that kind of society. That was not John. Verse 29, shortly John saw Jesus coming to him and he hastened to divert attention from himself to Jesus himself. Behold, the Lamb of God, there he is, who takes away the sin of the world. For majority, he says, this is the one for whom God appointed me as a herald. I told you on a previous occasion, we don't know when that was, he doesn't identify. After me, there comes a man who has a rank, speaks an understatement, a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. How could he exist before John? Another place in John 8, he said, existed before Abraham. Got everybody all excited. This kind of blew past him. He existed before I, not unless he was a pre-existent person who was the word made flesh, John 14, and that was Jesus. Wow, it's testimony to Jesus' pre-existence. John adds for the record, I did not instantly, verse 31, recognize him by sight, but in God's plan, in fulfilling my office, I came by God's design to Israel, baptizing in this water, a public sign of people's repentance. I did that so that he might be manifested in God's way to Israel by those with prepared hearts. Verse 32. So how did I recognize him? In that process, one day I beheld the Holy Spirit. That's when he baptized Jesus, by the way. Descending like a dove. The Holy Spirit was not a dove. It's a figure of speech. I beheld Zoom descending just like a little dove and standing on the shoulder, I presume, of Jesus. The Spirit of God in that symbol rested upon him. That was my cue. This is my cousin in the flesh. This is the Messiah. This is the one. I did not recognize him in verse 30 through independently. But Yahweh sent me as his royal herald and prophet, 
herald and prophet to baptize those God had prepared. And God had told me through his spirit, he upon whom you see the Holy Spirit descending. Take note. And remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about that. This is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. Water baptism in John's day, his baptism, was a physical symbol of repentance. Christian baptism is a little different. It includes that, but that's not all. We're not going there. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a divine, it's not what you hear of in Pentecostal circles. In their circles, somebody in this service, let's just say hypothetically, at the end of the service when we're closing, they say, a pastor, wait just a minute. Would you wait just a minute? I want to publicly confess Jesus Christ as my Savior. What will we all do? We'll clap and say, glory be to God. Had that happen once I, in that fashion, almost that fashion. We were baptizing. A guy got up and said he wanted to be baptized too. He was sitting right over there. It's not Carl. But he was sitting right over there. We baptized him. Wonderful thing. Now, there theological theory is he's still about as weak in every way as he was before. All he did was he got saved. He got justified right there. That is, he got cleansed of all of his sin. He is now, she is now a believer. That's all good. But they're still weak as a cat. They can't do anything from God because they have to be empowered. How do they get empowered? Well, usually you have to go to a service or something and have people praying all over top of you. It looks like a scrum in rugby. And everybody gets over top of them until finally they get the spirit. And then they're empowered for service. I submit to you that is a complete error. No, that's not what it is. These people, these Jews, when they came and they repented, then when they met Jesus, they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. What's it mean? It means that they were regenerated. They experienced the new birth. Every single one of them, not one here and there who finally saw the need to be baptized by the Spirit. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians if I can ever get there, I hate these gaps. First Corinthians. Is it up there? Oh, good. For by one spirit, the apostle Paul says, a few of us were baptized into one body. No. He says, how many of us? All of us were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. I submit to you that every man or woman in this congregation who knows Jesus Christ experienced what those Jews experienced. They were He came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. I just baptized with water. That's a symbol. 
We're all baptized by the Holy Spirit. We're all regenerated. We all experienced the new birth and we were all empowered. You received, Titus says, Paul says in Titus, you receive the Holy Spirit richly. That's not up there. So if you know the Lord, you are empowered to do whatever God called you to do. Unless you do something to get in the way of that power, which we can all do. It's a universal experience of all believers. Well, in verse 34, John says, whether you will accept my word or not, the words are not there, that's the spirit of it. John declares to this, these partly skeptical people, as God's servant and appointed forerunner of his Messiah, I tell you on his authority what I have seen, and I bear witness from God that this one, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the real Lamb of God. By His shed blood, your sins are washed away. This one is the Son of God. I bear witness. He's God in the flesh. In other words, He's the very living Word of God. He's the one who is the very moral image of the Father. The exact representation of His essential being disguised in human flesh. You can accept my testimony and you can as I just reflect it from the scriptures. You can accept my testimony, you can reject it. God gives you the right, but you must accept the consequences. So it is to this hour, truth or consequences. Nobody can compel you, nobody wants to compel you. It can't be done. Only the spirit of God, that's a transaction between you and God. As for John the Baptist, I've got a few things to say about him. Always look in the scripture at its people, at the individuals who are players in the great drama. Always look at them and see what you can learn. John's a fascinating character to me. Somebody said, I believe it was the same thing they said of John Wycliffe. It was written somewhere. Here lies a man who feared the face of no man. That was John the Baptist. Would that everybody who represents him could be that way. See God and not people, not fear men. I look at him as a pastor. I look at him as an individual in this church. I look at him, we should, as a church. And remember that we're all about the same thing. We're in this dark world spending more out of control on a trajectory toward hell. He's a wonderful model for every one of us, for me as a pastor, for us as a church, for individuals who are part of the church. Wonderful model. First of all, I go back to what I said at the beginning, which is always striking to me. I run into people who are good people. I mean, we like them, but we see them fall all over themselves. They're smart. They have gifts. But somehow they just fall on their faces because they do not know themselves. Make it a project in prayer to ask the Lord to help you know who you are. We should ask the Holy Spirit. We should ask the Lord through the Holy Spirit to help you and I get better acquainted with ourselves. A person not well acquainted with himself or herself 
about who they are and who they're not, despite whatever their other credentials or assets that they may have. They're going to be a problem to themselves and to others and limited in their ability to serve Christ fruitfully. You see, one of the dangers we have is our egos. Is that news to anybody? I've got mine and you've got yours. And many of us are wannabes. Uh, Whether in the streets or in the church or wherever, we want to be this, we want to be that. But we're not wired for it. It doesn't mean we're lesser people. It doesn't mean we have less dignity or less worth. But we think it involves that. And so we aspire to this office, to this role, to that place, to that dignity. We want it and we want it, we want it badly. We got to be who we are and ask God to help us just to, just to be who I am and not try to be anything else. It's, uh, you know, to go outside the work of the Lord. You know, you see it in life all the time. Here's somebody in an office who's very smart, but they want to be a boss. They weren't made for bossing. They weren't wired for it. They don't have that personnel. They're not a leader. Never will be a leader, but they want that title. You see, in sports, you see some kid who wants to be a quarterback. He has a, he has an arm like a rubber band. No, it doesn't work. And uh, just find out who you are. But ask God to help you with that because it can really mess you up. Another thing is, we notice about Johnny, knew his mission. Go before the Lord, not ahead of him. To fulfill our purpose in his service, we need a crystal clear perception of our mission. I'm not talking about, John was a preacher. I'm a preacher, not a prophet. But just get a clear eye. My mission is your mission. Your mission is my mission. We need to get clear about that. It is to glorify God. It is to advance his work. It is to be what I always tell you. Somebody says, I'm looking for a ministry. You got a ministry, baby. You got a ministry. What is it? Be Christian. Walk out those doors, walk into those streets, and whatever you are, whatever your position, be Christian. That's job one. Be Christian. That's that's it. Glorify God. Somebody just recently quoted a great Christian leader from another generation. He's talking about people with means and wealth. Any person who possesses worldly wealth and does not dedicate that to Christ is actually poor. And that's true. Well, that's know your mission. Know our mission. Don't just look up here at the preacher and say, well, that's, don't just look at the church. Look at yourself as an individual. Our mission is the same for everybody in this church who knows Christ. It is to glorify him. You're an engineer. Well, not really. You're a Christian. You're not. You're an engineer Christian, not a Christian engineer. You're not a Christian accountant. You are an accountant Christian. I write that in one of my books. That's what you are. Accountant or engineer or you name it. It's just a subset of what you are. Be a Christian and glorify Christ with your life. 
John knew his message, and his message is our message. It is to declare to people the Lamb of God, the Savior of the world. Look, we're not here. You hear this garbage all the time. We're not here to make a better world. We're not going to make it better. We're here to call people out of the world. We're not here to save the Titanic, but to rescue people from it. We're not here to bring about social justice. We're all for it, but the Levine doesn't understand it. We're here to point people to the only one who can heal all of our diseases and redeem fallen people from the curse of sin and all that goes with it. We're here to be lights in the world and salt in the earth, lamps of the moral being of Jesus Christ. I don't know. I hope that connects with you. We just get all about the wrong things. We get, we get first things last and last things first. A lot of the things we are and a lot of the things we do, well, they have a certain importance. Your job is to glorify Christ. Your job is to be salt and light in the earth. Finally, John had pure motives. He deflected attention from himself to Christ. We see that all through that narrative. We preachers and churches have a hard time sharing the limelight with Christ. We kind of want to shoulder him. It's him and us. But as John says in another place, I must decrease and he must increase. God said, my glory I will share with no man in Isaiah. To many pastors in their churches, they want to share the spotlight. We're not about lake. We love our church. We love each other. Don't we? We love each other. We do. I've said what few pastors can say. It may change this afternoon. But I've said, as I pastor this church, it hasn't always been this way. I can't think of a person that walks in those doors that I say, oh, gee, I wish they'd go away. Very few pastors can say that. And I, I don't feel that way. We, we love each other. And we're to minister, not on behalf of the church. Well, somebody says, oh, at least I understand this at a certain level. Please understand me. Oh, I, I just want to do this for the church. Folks, at a certain level, we understand that. Don't do anything for Lake. Do it for Christ. If we can't do it for Christ, forget it. Whatever you do working up the sweat, it's for Christ. This church is just a platform. That's all it is. It's just a platform through which we serve Christ. It can exist or not exist. But if it doesn't honor Christ, it's not worth the powder to take to blow it up. John had that spirit. He must increase. I must decrease. And whenever we go about the Lord's work, here's the rule. Take his work seriously. Don't take yourself seriously. Take him seriously. Laugh at yourself. He must increase. I must decrease. Let that be our motto.
in all things. It's not about us. It's about him. It's hard to keep that, especially when people are out in front of us and applause and clapping and all that stuff. It's hard to keep that in perspective. He doesn't want to share the platform with any of us. Not any of us. That does nothing but diminish him. And it diminishes us, too, if we get in that mode. All right, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these lessons that we can glean from the ministry and the person of John the Baptist. What a wonderful man he was, and he's there for us to look at and to remind ourselves of his character, of of the way he conducted himself, so that we as individuals in the church and as a pastor might do the same thing. And we ask that you might be glorified through us. We recognize our Father. We're not a big deal in ourselves. We must not take ourselves seriously, but we must take you seriously in all things. And if any man or woman is here who doesn't know Christ, we pray your spirit would draw them to the Lamb of God who shed his blood for us, who takes away the sin of the world for all who trust in him. We pray that the spirit would get that message across where I can. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.